Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right, we are back with another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today we have Michael Coffee with us from Stack Source. This is going to be an interesting episode because we don't often talk about the debt side, about loans, um, especially when it comes to commercial real estate. And Michael is an expert in uh, in in commercial lending, so I'm super excited to have to talk about this. I'm actually Michael. I didn't tell you before we got on here. This is the first time um, I'm in the process of buying a you know a three million dollar property. It's the first time I'll have a commercial loan. Up to this point, I've done all seller financing, so I got a lot of questions for you, which is perfectly timed. Um, I'm super excited to jump into this. Uh, so yeah, Michael, thank you for hopping on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, I told you before we got on here, we like to start with stories. We like to hear how people got to where they are today. I'm sure you got a good one. So why don't you take us back to the beginning? How'd you get started in real estate? Yeah, I think like most people, I just kind of happened into it. Um, we, uh, I started off actually in the residential lending world and this was, uh, back in, in the early 2000s and uh just couldn't couldn't swing it as a loan officer I, I the the sales game was was not something i was interested in learning i love the the nuts and bolts aspect of the business but being a salesperson did not appeal to me at all so i ended up joining with a firm that had a residential and a commercial lending division mm. and was there for 20 years, 20 plus years. And in that time, uh, ended up working my way over into the commercial world. Really, really love the numbers part of commercial real estate. Um, you know, being involved in deals where, you know, people weren't interested or cared about the color of the, you know, the way it was painted or, or decorate, you know, it was just about the numbers and it just really appealed to me. Uh, and then, Worked in the back office there, putting files together, coordinating the loans for the the originators, documenting files, working with underwriters, appraisers, title folks, really learning all about the business, all the different aspects of it. And one day uh, was was shaken and told, hey, you can do the sales side. You know, you know this so well. I, this would be a good convergence of skills. And so I took that on and said, okay, fine, I'm ready to learn it, learn something new. And so I have since, you know, leveraged all that, you know, almost two decades of, of learning. And I now apply it to uh, originating commercial debt and equity deals. Nice. I love it. And that, uh, the, um, the way the, 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 you didn't put the cart before the horse there because you got the experience, you got the knowledge, you got the wisdom, um, getting all the numbers, understanding the underwriting, and then you got into sales. I feel like that generally works better because then you understand the product better. You can sell it better. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. Sounds like you did it the right way. Uh, and underwriting is one of the hardest parts about real estate. If you get it wrong, um, you're in for a uh, a rough ride. But if you get it right, then uh, you can you can. Breathe a little easier because you know that your deal is not going to um, 
or at least there's great potential in the deal that you're you're doing. So let's start there in the underwriting portion. Um, from a commercial lending perspective, you know, working with the banks, what is it that the banks are going to be looking for when they uh, they look at a commercial, you know, underwriting and commercial deal? Well, it, obviously, debt cover is is the most important item that we look at. Uh, how you get to that NOI to figure out what your debt cover is, I think, is is part of the fun part of the journey when I'm analyzing a deal. The way I do it and the way I present it to a potential capital source is I just use the current rent roll. Um, I don't necessarily look at historical income. There's a lot of stuff that can happen that can impact that number, the way they keep records, if they're counting deposits as as income, you know, that's false income, right? Or if they get large uh, you know, prepaid rents in one year and it doesn't filter over into the next year, the PL looks screwy. So I take the current rent roll, that's my income, my gross income. I apply a realistic vacancy factor. Then I start tearing into the to the expenses. And those are, you know, if I'm looking at an acquisition and I have a, a flyer from a listing agent, I'll take the taxes, I'll, I'll take the insurance, the utility number. Then because I work closely with a lot of appraisers, I do have a good idea of what numbers are going to show up in the appraisal for some of those, shall we say, squishier numbers like repair and maintenance, turnover, landscaping all those things uh I'll work with the buyer to to figure out you know what are what's your plan for landscaping like are you going to hire someone out is is your manager going to take care of it like how are you going to tackle this and I try and present it that way to the lender so that I'm not using pie in the sky uh I'm going to use a, a a management fee even if it's a smaller property and I know this guy who owns you know 40 50 units, he's going to manage it himself. I'm still going to underwrite in a management fee because that's what a lender is going to do so that we get to a realistic number. Because what I don't want to do is overpromise and deliver this NOI that's just completely not going to hold up under scrutiny. So we try and get real with that number. Um, Yep. So that I so that's how I do it. But the, the banks, yes, they're going to focus in on that NOI uh, very tightly, and and everything everything is driven off of that. Yep, that makes sense, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, you start with the current rent roll versus the uh, you know the the previous year's PNL um, NOI, and so that makes sense to me because you're right. The uh, PNL can just be all over the place, especially if you're dealing with a property that was recently purchased and they did a lot of work in the last year. Uh, maybe they increased vacancy from 20% to, uh, wait, occupancy from 20% to 90% or that's a yeah. huge jump, but you get the idea. They can definitely fluctuate. So looking at the current rent roll makes a lot of sense to me. Um, when you're talking about debt coverage ratio, what is the debt coverage that you're generally looking for, um, for a, you know, a healthy uh, loan? Yeah, so it, it's going to vary depending on the asset you're looking at. But if we're talking multifamily, which is obviously the most common uh, item out there, the most common asset class out there, there's still a lot of lenders that will underwrite to a 1.2 debt cover. 
Okay. Uh, there are some that are starting to drift to the one, two, five, uh, just to try and account for some, you know, market fluctuations that may or may not happen in the next year, um, just to be safe. But 1.2 is still, uh, still obtainable. Yeah. And then if, as you get into retail and office, you're, you're really pushing that to one, three, five at best. Yep. Is what I'm seeing. And for the, those of you who don't know, debt coverage ratio, a one two five, a 1.25 basically means that your NOI is 125% of your debt coverage, of, of the debt that you're paying every month of your mortgage. So if you have a mortgage of $1,000 every month, then the bank is looking for you to have an NOI of at least $1,250 every month. Yeah. They want um, you to make a profit. So that's yeah. the, the difference there is your, your profit margin. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, you know, you don't want to buy a, a losing business, um, which is actually a question that I'm going to get to in a second. But before I do that, um, you already talked about asset types. I know that, you know, assets vary widely. You can have a, a hotel, you know, um, hotels, they run at their their income can g- generally fluctuate much more than something like uh, a multifamily. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to asset types, was there a specific type of asset that you like to underwrite more that banks are more comfortable with? Um, you already mentioned that, you know, retail will go at one, three, five for debt service or debt coverage. Um, give us a little detail on the the specific asset classes themselves. Yeah. So, you know, multifamily will always be the preferred asset type for most debt providers. Uh, it, it's, the most in demand and and generally that is generally true um so they're going to get the most aggressive uh, on that asset type both with their underwriting and with with terms um retail is at this moment in time i think it's a little bit in flux as far as how desirable that is from a from a bank perspective that said, there's there's a lot of capital providers that that is their specialty, mm-hmm. so they feel way more comfortable uh, underwriting that asset type. Again, they're gonna they're gonna be looking at a a one three five debt cover, um, but they will. And this has been a great change the last five years or so. Is we're seeing a lot more uh, institutions go with a thirty year amortization hmm. on that asset class, which before then was was unheard of. Yeah. Now when we get back east and some of the Midwest states there they still favor the 25 year uh amortization, some of them even 20. Um but we do have through Stack Source, we have a lot of national providers that will do the 30 year regardless of location. Yep. Um and the the longer the amortization schedule, the the more favorable it is to the uh, the GP to the uh, the sponsor of the project because that means you have less money that you're paying out every single month. Although you are paying more in interest, um, you still don't have to. You know, there's a little bit more wiggle room when it comes to cash flow. So we love to see that. Um, how about self storage? That's my specific specialty. Uh, do you have any insight in underwriting self storage? I love self storage. I the, right. the, they're such cash cows. Um the the NOIs are always so strong. Um it, it it's an interesting asset type because I think it's just recently kind of come into vogue with with a lot of of capital providers. 
before it was kind of this fringe, kind of like mobile home parks mm. to the multifamily world, self-storage is to the to the industrial or retail world. Um, so I I love it. It I'm seeing it show up in uh acceptable property types for a lot of conventional lenders now. And and again, before it wasn't, I think what changed was when the SBA declared that it was, could be an owner user. I think that's when a lot of other institutions went, Oh, okay, let's start looking at this. Now we got to compete with the SBA in this, in this world. Cause you really can run that both ways. Um, So it, 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 to me, it's very interesting, but yeah, they can get aggressive. I mean, I've seen some at a one, two, five deck cover with 30 year AM oh, on, wow. on it. I think the struggle with those assets, especially on an acquisition is the vacancy. And mm-hmm. I think that throws a lot of, a lot of banks off because they can be so poorly run mm-hmm. that w- when you're acquiring a distressed asset like that, it it is scary for them to say, well, you know, how are you going to turn this around? Yeah, you know, and there's so much you can do with it. You can you can change the dynamic of the size of the units to make it more marketable. Um, but yeah, I've seen a lot of those get turned around pretty quick by yeah. by applying just a a little bit of elbow grease to it. Yeah, yeah. This uh, this deal that I'm working on right now. Um... It is, you know, it's a bigger property, but still, they don't have a website. They don't have, uh, they yeah. don't do any marketing whatsoever. They have one so crazy. street sign on the on the highway, and that's the only way that they fill up. There's, you know, they're at seventy percent occupancy, which is still, you know, it's respectable. Um, it's not where you know stabilization rate should be. It should be up in the nineties. Um, but still, you know, that's uh, that's a very easy path to value add, and it's good to hear that banks um, banks are you know, amenable to seeing that, that strategy, um, when it comes to lending. So the last question I had, we do have to move on, but I do have one more question about non, uh, um, there's a word for this, but basically, uh, assets that are value add, they're super fixer uppers. They have very low, um, occupancy. And so they will not, uh, debt cover. They will not cover the debt. Um, what is it, you know, Investors out there who are looking at these properties, they know there's a lot of potential in the property. What are their options when it comes to acquiring this property, fixing it up, and then uh, you know getting the debt for it? Sure, sure, yeah. There are two main avenues that I would look if approached with uh, a situation like that. Because yeah, you're not going to qualify for conventional debt. Um, so we can either look at a construction loan with a with a, a bank, right? Their expectation is most likely that they're going to retain the long-term debt. So that may or may not be in your best long-term interests. It'll it'll get the work done and and you know they can build a loan around the future debt service uh ratio. They can build the the loan around the future value and that sort of thing, which is great. There's money there to get the work done. You've got a good runway, 12, 18 months to get it done. Um, but you're going to be locked in with their debt at the end. And that, again, may not be the best option for you. So the the another method is to go with a specific bridge lender. They'll do 12 to 18 months. 
again, money's there. They'll get sometimes more aggressive on, on loan to cost, loan to value. Um, but they don't want any piece of your long-term debt. So they want to get in, get their money and get out. Rates are a little bit higher, but you are then free at the end of that, that construction period to either offload the property and have no prepayment penalty or go chase down the best possible debt you can have. And the reason I like that better than going with a, a formal construction loan is you may get partway through that project and your exit strategy completely changes. As the market shifts or you start seeing, hey, we're not quite getting the rents we wanted, um, this is going to make more sense to sell when I'm when it's stable than hold long-term. Or I don't want to hold it for 10 years. I may only want to hold it for three. That's going to set up what kind of debt we put in place um, once you're ready. So I like the flexibility of that. Yes, you're paying a little bit of a premium for that in the rate. But a lot of times, if there's room, we can build in an interest reserve to that. So you're not, it's not out of pocket per se. Um, so that that's how I would approach those. And it, it really, again, comes down to the the underwriting and seeing what is that, what's a realistic stabilized NOI look like and what can we really get for debt at cool. the end. I love it. All right. Well, hey, that does uh, wrap up the first section. We have gone through our time. So it's time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? I am. Let's do it. Starts with books. I'm a big bookie. So give me two recommendations, one for general life wisdom, one for real estate specific. Oh, let's see here. For general wisdom, I would say The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Mm -hmm. Um, For real estate related, boy, that's a tough one because most of what I read are are sales books. So um, uh, there's there's a couple. If if you're not familiar with the debt markets, there's a book called Commercial Mortgages 101 that that Mm. really strips it down to its basic core. Uh, I, I think that's it's a good helpful guide. Perfect. Commercial mortgages 101. That's uh sounds like something I should pick up. All right, that moves us to the next question. This is for your younger self. So let's go back to the Michael who is just getting started in real estate, just uh underwriting that first residential loan. Go to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Pick up a sales book. There you go. Easy think, peasy. Yeah. yeah. Pick up a sales book. Sales uh even if you don't like sales and if you don't think that your job includes sales, we all are salespeople. We are all, uh, you know, it's our job as what, in whatever job you have, you have to have influence. You do have to sell, um, sell your position. You're constantly selling yourself or your abilities to those around you, whether they be friends or, or your family. Um, There's so much, there's so much EQ wrapped up into the sales process that it has spurned so much growth. Even if I wasn't quote unquote a salesperson, there is so much value in what I learned through that through that process. There you go. All right. That moves us to the next question. Uh, this is for your strengths. We all have unique strengths that we uh, give to this world. What is your Superman strength? I think it's the the history that that I discussed earlier and in the way I approach what I do 
it is so much more well-rounded um than i think a lot of a lot of debt brokers end up being there they they start off more as a salesperson and then kind of learn the nuts and bolts as they go whereas i'm coming at it more as an analyst rather than trying to win a deal i'm more interested in okay what's this deal look like what how does it put together and then how can i serve this investor now that we know this how you know how can we best serve them um so i i think it's being well-rounded yep having that base of uh you know underwriting i'm sure serves you very well in your sales skill which you just uh, just mentioned earlier yeah uh, and that moves us to mentors. None of us are islands. None of us are islands. None of us. Yeah, no, that's right. None of us are islands. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. I forgot my own phrase. Uh, give me one mentor who has contributed significantly to your career today. So are you saying Paul Simon was incorrect? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess. Wow, that's bold. <laughs> um, I, you know, I mentioned his book earlier. Darren Hardy is is uh, an icon to me. Uh, in mentoring, uh, productivity and efficiency, uh, EQ, those sorts of things. I was at, I mentioned I was at a small uh, kind of a boutique debt provider. Uh, the owner of that firm was was the one that, that took me by the shoulders and said, you can do this. Uh, so I would say, um, you know, him in particular. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you for uh, helping Michael to get to where he is. And that moves us to the very last question. This is for the listeners. You've given us a lot to think about. I'm sure people want to reach out who have questions about the debt market, about getting a loan for their commercial property. What is the best way for them to reach out for you? to you? Uh, email and phone are both equally uh, accessible. Uh, phone number, I'm here in Oregon. It's 503 866 8817. That's my cell number. Uh, email is michael.coffee at stacksource.com. Perfect. I will put that email in the show notes. So if you guys want to reach out to Michael, go ahead and click the little more in the description, uh, pull down the full description and in there you can find his email address. Right on, Michael. That uh, wraps it up. Again, thank you very much for hopping on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe with the real estate investing club.com. If you want to support the show, all that we ask is that you give us a little review, thumbs up, wherever it is, YouTube, Apple, blah, blah, blah. That's the only thing we ask. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. 
So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.